It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reason. Welcome to The Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. And do we have a really fun show planned for you today? I have my friend and guest, Steve Simonen on here. Hi, Steve. Hey, how you doing? Awesome. I'm so glad that you're here today. So Steve has such a varied background, but really has reinvented rural healthcare. He's also been a barista and owner of a coffee shop. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But he's had some major turning points. And what I find so cool about Steve's story is that he is a stand for what he wants in the world. We were just talking before the show about how we both actually used to have this this we're going to climb the corporate ladder, the, the financial mindset, and have shifted into really that caring and compassionate space. And so we're going to cover all that today. So, Steve, yes. welcome. Thank you. This is awesome. <laughs> Will you start, just give a little bit of background for those listening about who you are. What, what is it that makes up Steve? Okay. It's my birthday week, first of, first of all, and I'm going to be 57. And, and uh, so I, I thought I was 57 this whole last year. So I'm actually kind of happy about it now. So I'm um, anyway, so I've been uh, I've been around um, this community for the last 25 years. And I never thought I'd stay that long. You know, I thought, you know, most rural hospital administrators stay about three and a half years and then they move on. And and um, so I started here in 96. Prior to that, I had a couple of hospitals up in South Dakota. Prior to that, I was in New Hampshire with a for-profit healthcare system. Prior to that, I was getting my master's down at the University of Iowa, um, my MBA and my degree in finance and my MHA. And uh, and uh, so we'll start we'll start back there. Is that is that all right? I'm just going to give you a brief awesome. of, of who I am and and uh, how I came to be who I am. So um, got my degree in finance, moved out to New Hampshire, worked for a for-profit system. Um, saw that the for-profit system really for-profit healthcare system really. Um, is very for profit. You know, they they have stockholders and they they look to maximize their stocks by um, by people being sick and and uh, yeah, which is fine. You know, which is fine for some. It wasn't good for me though. You know, when I saw that this company got sued um, by Medicare for three hundred fifty million dollars back in nineteen ninety two, I thought oh, I don't want to spend my career here. You know, I'm twenty six years old or twenty seven, and and so I started looking around for rural health care. I, I Ended up with a, a job at 28 years old as a CEO of two small hospitals in South Dakota. And, you know, at, at, I think back and at 28, I could barely tie my, my shoes, let alone run a couple of hospitals, but they gave me the job and I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I stayed there for three years. I, I had one small hospital, nine bed that, that did some amazing things, worked with uh, Senator Daschle on a, on a um, program to bring back cost reimbursement to a rural hospital, which made it survive. And the other hospital, which had a board, which wouldn't do anything. And I thought, eh, this is, this is tough. So um, after about three and a half years, I, I, I left there and started looking to, to continue to, to move up. And, um, and so that's when I, that's when I came to Clarion. And I remember on my first day of the hospital here, um, I was talking to my CFO and I said, Hey, Darcy, give me some good news. And she goes, well, I have three pieces of news. Today's my last day. I'm like, mm, that's not good. Um, and she says, we have no money for payroll. I'm like, mm, okay. And um, the employees want to unionize. I'm like, great. So I didn't ask the right questions at the at the interview, and so I got to I got to work and, and we started doing some things and and one of the things that uh, we were told to do 
with regards to the kind of the threat of the union, unions are, are fine and stuff, but I didn't want to be responsible for bringing a union in on my first day at a, at a, at a new organization um, as the boss. Um, so the, uh, the people said, well, you have to get comfortable with your employees, you know, start an employee satisfaction committee and, and maybe uh, write a newsletter or something like that. So 25 years ago, I started writing a newsletter on a weekly basis, um, on a weekly basis that, uh, that included um, a, a newsletter from, from me, a little editorial. So I've got like thousands of pages of these newsletters that talk about everything from my cat to my biking, to my weight loss journey, to, uh, to just different things for people to get to know, to, to know me, because at the end of the day, I want to be friends with my employees. So that was, that was in 96. And, and, uh, and then, um, after about three and a half years, I decided to move up the corporate ladder, like we were talking about. And, um, and, uh, my mom got sick and, uh, both my, both my parents at the time were fairly healthy. Mom was in her early sixties and, and she ended up having, um, uh, Mets to the brain from a primary lung cancer. And, uh, and all of a sudden I went from this financial CEO, you know, always looking at the numbers and, and making sure that I had a positive bottom line and, and things to someone who's on the other side of the bed. And I'd never been in that position before. I never really understood what healthcare was about, you know, um, until I started realizing because mom's um, clock ticked loud in her hospital room that that might be happening at my hospital. And that drove me crazy. And I'm like, what? People were answering the, the phone different, um, the, the nurse call system. She was in a hospital three hours from here. Um, and I'm thinking, how do we answer our phones? How do, you know, how do we treat our, I, I remember going by the nurse's station one time and I was hearing a bunch of docs and I, and I knew they were talking about my mom and, and they were talking to themselves, to each other. And they were saying, oh yeah, poor thing. She'll be dead in a month. And I'm like, why am I hearing that? Why are they talking in the hallway? And I'm thinking, where do they talk at my hospital? You know, I'm, I'm seeing hospital care completely different. You know, it's not from a financial perspective, but from a family perspective. And, and so that was, that was a big transformation for me. I started, I started realizing that, that healthcare was about love and compassion. And, uh, and then I had some help from um, some speakers and some different things and, and, and I rededicated myself to this place. And I said, you know, I could, I could move forward and in, in healthcare and, and get the bigger jobs and things, or I could, or I could stay here. I can, I can bloom where I'm planted. You know, I can take a, a fairly decent, good situation and make it great. And, uh, and then the transformation started back in 2002 and, and we just started adding things and, and I started uh, pushing the envelope and pushing the boundaries and, and it just, just went up from there. And, uh, <sighs> You know, when you have when you have a, a CEO or an owner of a coffee shop or or whatever who gets it, you know, who's there, who's who's um, understanding, you know, what the food is supposed to taste like, and and picking up the dirty dishes, and um, that's in the restaurant, not the hospital, and um, in the hospital, you know, loving each each patient like they're a member of your family, you know, and and going to a to a, to a greater extent than, than I would have before, you know, and being that example that, uh, it changed. Yeah. And there's two pieces of your story. Well, there's lots to your story, but you, you talked about the, the, the coffee shop and, and yes, you had a coffee shop and we can talk about that. But one of the stories that I find so cool, I came up to visit you, gosh, it's been a few years now. And you were sharing about how you picked the coffee 
that served in the reception area, in the lobby area. Will you share that? Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I always just assumed that everybody did this. Um, <laughs> I was surprised to find out that actually nobody gives away free coffee. And, uh, and um, you know, it's, it's bigger than, than the coffee. You know, we, in rural, in rural um, healthcare, we, um, we know that a wait is required because our docs run down to the ER. They, you know, they deliver babies, they do all these things. And so when I was redoing the hospital back in 2006, one of the many um, times we were redone the hospital, you know, the architect um, said to me, Hey, Steve, you know, people are getting away from waiting rooms. They just go right into the room. I'm like, well, that's, that might be nice in, in the urban areas. It doesn't happen here. You know, people do wait, but what we're going to do is we're going to make our, the wait as nice as we possibly can. So we went uh, on a, um, kind of this big um, quest to find the best coffee out there. And uh, we tried a bunch of different coffees and we said, well, what if people don't drink coffee? And, and so we said, okay, we're going to have also hot water for hot cider and hot chocolate. And we, we were serving Tazo tea until people were like coming with bags to take our Tazo tea from us. So we'll switch to Lipton. Um, and and uh, we had apples and oranges until we found that the kids were licking the apples and putting them back. So we said, eh, we'll, we'll avoid that. No way. And, um, and so we said, you know, we're going to have um, little kids viewing stations for movies. We're going to have fish tanks. We're going to have fireplaces. We're going to have, you know, TVs with whatever, you know, we're going to make the, um, we're going to make the the stay as an enjoyable as possible because when people come to the hospital, you know, whether they're coming to the ER, to the clinic or to wherever, they're coming with a lot of anxiety. You know, that's the great thing about telehealth. I'm going to get into that later. But but they're, when they do come, you know, and they're sitting there, they're filled with anxiety. So we want to make it as comfortable for, for people as possible, especially now during COVID, you know, to have to have that stuff available. You know, it's a, it's what I'd want. You know, and and uh, so I, I remember being a patient um, in the clinic before and uh, the nurse would come in at the end. She said, hey, can I get you a cup of coffee? I'm like, that's fantastic. Absolutely. You know, this this doesn't happen. So um, I'm like, yeah, this is really cool. So let's talk about Belmont. Let's talk about Belmont. OK, so you're running Clarion and then you add the, the, just pick it up from there. Yeah. Okay. So um, in 2000, so there's this thing in, I'm going to give you a little bit of um, facts. So, so bear with me for a sec. So um, in, in American healthcare, there, there exists this uh, hospital called the critical access hospital. Critical access hospital um, um, represents 26% of nation's hospitals or about 1300 hospitals nationwide are critical access to be a critical access hospital. You have to have 25 beds or under, you have to be located in a rural area, have a length of stay, blah, blah, blah. So we were, um, so when I came into uh, Iowa in 96, I got onto the, uh, onto the committee that was bringing critical access in because it was passed by the Balanced Budget Act in 97. And so we were one of the first three hospitals, um, with Clarion and Belmont and Primgar were the first three hospitals in on the state of Iowa in 2000 to go critical access. So we, we had decent financials. Um, with all the stuff that I was talking about before in the hospital getting more successful in about 2006, that the Clarion Hospital kept coming up upon that 25 bed limit because we were so busy. We were doing orthopedics, we were doing babies, we were doing all these other things. And so I was thinking, you know, we can't grow anymore. We have no, no space to grow. So when the Belmont board called us up in the summer of 2000, 
six. Um, they said, you know, we think that uh, our system is getting ready to close us and, and we, we need some help on providers and, and some different things. And, and so, so we looked at, at it. Um, one, of my, one of my providers who was on the committee is also deacon in the Catholic church. Dr. Witters said, this is the right thing to do in a, in a rural community. You need to have your ER. I still have my financial hat on just a little bit. I said, you know, if we want to grow it all, if we want to, if we want to expand Belmont's 15 miles away, Belmont would be a perfect place to, to um, put uh, a lot of our expansion um, possibilities. So when we started meeting with um, um, it turned that we ended up with the hospital. So um, in January 1 of 2007, basically Iowa Specialty Hospitals and Clinics was born. Still under the name Belmont Medical Center. We still had Wright Medical Center. That didn't come until later. But um, the, the thing is with Belmont, Belmont it was, they hadn't done any renovation in a long time. So when we first, when we first started working with them in 2007, we, uh, <clears throat> we found a hospital in desperate need of renovation. So we renovated by building a, a new hospital. We, we, we knocked down about seven buildings in downtown Belmont, Iowa. We put up this uh, two-story with a full basement, uh, a nice new hospital and, uh, and renovated it. And, and we decided at that time, uh, my, uh, my CEO that I hired, who was a rock star, uh, Nancy, she used to be a leader in that community. Uh, Nancy and I talked and we said, this place needs a center of excellence. In Clarion, we do orthopedics, we do babies. We can't do those up in Belmont because we're too close. And, and that would, you know, we want to find a center of excellence for Belmont. So we started looking around and, and one of the things that we came upon was bariatric. And we said, can we get people to drive, you know, from all over the place for bariatric? Sure. What the hell? Um, so, so uh, when we built this new hospital, we started looking for bariatric surgeons, and and um, in 2014, we came upon uh, a fantastic surgeon, Dr. Todd Iveson, and and uh, we started down that path as far as recruiting them um, to uh, to come up to Belmont. And Dr. Ivis lives in Des Moines, and and he was getting ready to move to a job out in Las Vegas. And so on the, the absolute coldest um, morning in probably a decade in February of 2014, he drove up and on the way up, he said to himself, no, absolutely not. There's no way I'm not going to do this. And we got him there. We wowed him. We had dinner at my house. And, uh, and he said, and I said, okay, I'll be the first patient. I was getting close to like 300 pounds at the time. And, and I was, I was thinking about it and I said, yeah, I'll be the first patient. Let's, let's advertise that then. So it was on the front front page of the Des Moines Register. I don't know if you remember the story. We were on the front page, front fold, um, and uh, and it was it was amazing. We started rocking it, and people, you know, the amazing thing to me is that about seventy five percent of our patients come from like the Des Moines area. That makes no sense. That's two hours away. They could they could like drive five miles down the road to a to a big hospital and and get this get the same procedure, but they'll they'll jump in their car and drive, drive a couple hours. But we've seen that with, with our orthopedics as well as our OBs. And I, and I talked to one of my OBGYNs, Dr. Gabrielson, and I said, how far do moms drive to, to have their baby here? Knowing that there's hospitals everywhere in Iowa, you know, 25 miles, you can find that. Um, he said, they'll drive up to two and a half hours away. Can you From, imagine that as somebody with three kids, I think I, if I, <laughs> And I'm sure there's there's contingencies there, but just to catch everybody up in what Steve said here is that he saw a hospital that, by all intents and purposes, was tanking, 
and said, okay, let's see how we can rebuild this. Let's create a center of excellence here, which means we're going to be known for this thing. So bariatrics, weight loss surgery. And then you got to wow Dr. Ibis. So find the surgeon that would be excited about driving two hours because these are rural roads. Okay, I've been up on them multiple times. Steve's come down on them in the winter. They're not that fun. And so he got to enroll Dr. Ibis in being a part of it. And then not only that, he said, I'll be the first patient. Imagine that. I'm going to leave you with that. We're going to go on a quick break. But I want you to imagine something like that with your team. <laughs> Can you even imagine the the thoughts that people had. Think about that on this short break. We'll be back here in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. I have my friend and guest, Steve Simonon, on today, and we've been talking all about reinventing rural health care and Steve's story. So we were just talking before the break about how we stepped into a, a hospital that was losing money. We all, well, you stepped into Clarion when it was losing money, turned that around, then stepped into Belmont when it was losing money, reinvented, rebuilt the hospital, and then decided we're going to be a bariatric center of excellence, brought Dr. Ibison on a snowy day, and said you'll be the first patient. Like, who does that? Which is what's so beautiful about your story. So tell me, when you told people, like, like Dr. Ibis, when you told the community that this is what you're doing, what did they say? You know, um, when we first started working at Belmont back in 2007, there were I'll, I'll back up um, even before um, even before Belmont when we when we took over um, Fort Dodge Orthopedic Practice in oh, it was 2006. Um, there were so many editorials um, negative about us about the doctors. Same thing when we started working with Belmont. So many editorials about the big guy down south taking us over and da 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 da. You know, and and Belmont and Clarion hated each other. Um, the communities because we played each other in football and, and uh, it was just, it was like this nasty small town rival. And it always reminds me of this far side, um, far side cartoon where two um, short people are, are sitting at a um, bar, old Western, everybody's fighting in the background and one's saying, what are you looking at? And, you know, the, the thing that, the thing that I think is that in rural healthcare, we got enough, we got enough to worry about, you know, on a daily basis. We need, um, 
we shouldn't have to worry about uh, competing against each other. We should be worried about like the Walmarts and the big hospitals and all this other stuff. So um, anyway, my watch just fell off. Um, anyway, so um, what was the question again? <laughs> so what happened where people were mad about this? You know, I don't know about, I don't know about mad necessarily. I think they were, they were wondering, you know, there's so much pride in a small community. We uh, worked on a tax thing for ambulances. We were the first county in, in Iowa to do this a couple of years ago. And when we were working with one of the communities, Eagle Grove, just down south, and we were talking about how this half a million dollars would enhance um, would enhance their service. There was so much pride from a community standpoint, like, are you going to take us over? Are you going to take us over? We don't want to be taken over. We want to, you know, but we all needed to help. So we figured out a way to, to, to make it so we could, we could maintain our individuality and our independence. And so when, when we're, when we were working with Belmont um, first, you know, one of the things that we said was we want to get you back on your feet. We want to get you independent. We want to figure out, you know, what's the best way that we can all um, stand independently um, going, going forward which was fine for a couple of years until we started to figure out we probably don't need two radiology leaders. We probably don't need two um, lab leaders. We probably don't need two, 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 you know, it, it would be better to work as a system kind of a North South campus. And, um, and that's, you know, when we, when we changed the name 2010 to 2011, when we started considering that, we, we said, let's work together as senior leadership. Let's work together as hospitals. You know, let's stop, let's stop kind of working um, as, as two and, and really look what synergy could bring, bring us. Yeah. And so think about one of the things that I've heard you say, you referenced Dr. Ibis and you got to bring Dr. Ibis and you got to enroll him and he was a yes. But it seems like there's been a shift in doctors are finding you are finding yeah. Iowa specialty. So can you talk about that shift? Yeah. yeah. One, one of the things that you said um, before, which I was going to correct, um, we didn't go out and look for Belmont. You know, when I remember that whole summer, we were working with a consultant um, out of Des Moines, um, Bob Rook. And, and I remember calling up Bob saying, get me out of this. I don't want to do this. I don't like change, you know? Um, and when, when docs would call up, we're like, we're not look when we're opening clinics in different communities, we're not, we're not going to different, we're not scouting different communities to open clinics in. I mean, we're building right now in Webster City. We, we opened a Garner Clinic. It's because the community has been bugging us for years. You know, we don't really do anything because we strategically thought of it. You know, one, one of the cool things is, you know, as we kind of changed our perspective and consciousness, you know, one of the things things that we really focused on was um, the brass rings and coincidences and taking advantage of situations as they arise, you know, and I was, I was point back to the, I'm going to show my age land of the lost. Um, so when, when that, when that um, mirrored pyramid would show up and, and they'd always show you can go back and they'd, they'd never take it. I mean, just go. Um, and uh, so when, when things, present themselves to us, you know, we're going to quickly say yes and figure it out on the other side. So when docs would talk to us, you know, it's like, oh, we hadn't considered that before. Okay. You know, let's figure it out. Let's, uh, let's step back and, and do some, do some planning, you know, but that, that, 
was allowed to us after we kind of found our independence. Um, in 2002, because I, I did some things with my docs, because they said, Steve, we like what you're doing at the hospital. We want to be hired. I was employed by Iowa Health System at the time. The docs were employed by Iowa Health System at the time. They said, you know, we want you to hire us. If not, we're going to leave. And I'm like, so you're, I'm going to have to close the hospital? And they said, yeah. Um, I said, well, we'll figure out. We'll figure it out. We'll hire you. So I got fired for that. Um, so we all became independent in 2003. And um, when Belmont came aboard with us, they were with the other system and, uh, and they um, gave up their um, system network affiliation about 2009. So as we all became extremely independent, you know, we were kind of um, loosened from the, from the chains and we were able to just kind of grow and think on our own. It was pretty amazing. So it, it allowed us to say yes to a lot of things where, you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends, um, can't say yes because they have to like go up the corporate chain to, to get approval. Sure. Well, and, I hope so that doesn't get me in trouble. <laughs> well, that's on your brand. Yeah. <laughs> think about, so, so COVID, let's just talk about that for a second. Cause I know it's had an impact obviously on, on the community. What's been going on? I mean, here so, we are so a year in, and a half in. I mean, yeah. Insane. Yes. Um, we um, were able to do some really creative things prior to COVID that really helped once COVID hit. So we were um, already moving forward um, with a tele, um, telehealth platform, working with businesses, working with schools um, to, uh, to do telehealth. You know, it was really slow going because the payment parity wasn't there. Insurance wasn't doing anything, you know, and, and when COVID hit, we were ready because we, we had been trying to work towards this. And, and so from our perspective, we're like, yeah. You know, and, and plus being critical access hospitals, we <clears throat> we don't um, vent patients. We don't take the higher level patients. And so, you know, we weren't constrained by all of I mean, we did COVID. Absolutely. We did COVID testing. We had COVID patients. But when they would get um, higher than what we could take care of, we would we would send them on. But we were OK. So we were able to kind of make Belmont our COVID central because they had the ICUs up there. We had a couple ICUs built. And in Clarion, we um, would transfer our COVID patients up there. So we have um, three ORs at Clarion. We were able to do, once they opened up the, uh, the ability to do cases in May of 2020, we were able to do a lot. And, and I was talking to one of my providers, one of my orthos a couple of weeks ago. And, and he said, you know, Steve, I, I see patients at, at these different um, small hospitals and they were, they were still shut down. And, and I had a lot of, uh, a lot of my patients transfer up to Clarion and Belmont. So it was really weird, but we were very busy during COVID um, by patients who couldn't get care elsewhere because the big hospitals were full of COVID patients. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing you say is you guys were positioned to support, which, which that's what I hear throughout all of this is really taking care of the patient and being able yeah. to, to serve them. And it sounds like you were positioned in a way that was to serve, whether it was COVID or any other health need. We, we truly were, you know, it, uh, it, it was, <laughs> yeah, it's been an interesting last couple of years. You know, you, it, COVID was, there was, there's silver linings on, on COVID as well. You know, um, it also, um, you know, forced us to reevaluate, you know, cleaning and masks and, and, uh, you know, appropriateness and, and kind of, uh, um, 
being more formal with uh, with with how we how we do things and how we see things. He was talking with a, a dental hygienist, so it's a different field, but I was talking with her the other day and I said oh, something about gloves. And she says, I've had to wear gloves forever. That was just a thing, but it really wasn't something that I thought about. And she says, we've always worn masks. So they've upped their game, but they still, yeah. some of these techniques aren't necessarily new to them. And that's probably what you're seeing as well. We get to up our game, but. Yeah. You know, the, the, the interesting thing from, um, supposedly a highly engaged um, environment. You know, we, we'd always have the parties and parades and all this other stuff. We'd smile in the hallways, which is not possible under, it is with masks. You can smile with your eyes. Well. Um, but, so we were trying to figure out how do you keep people engaged? How do you keep, um, especially like in, um, in March and April, you know, in the, the worst of the, I was doing daily videos from home or from my backyard or, you know, from the office and just talking to people. We opened up um, a Facebook group because we said, you know, if people are at home, they don't necessarily have access to the hospital email. So we did a massive um, Facebook groups and got everybody. We did a huge campaign to get everybody on there. We would do, uh, like I said, videos and, and scavenger hunts in the home and just lots of as much uh, fun as, as, as we possibly could, you know, and as much communication. So everybody really felt like a team pulling in the, in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And, and so for you as an administrator, were you, where did you physically office out of during that time? Cause you had teams working in the hospital. No, I came back. Uh, you know, I have an exit door right, now, right by my door. And, you know, I basically came into the office and kind of um, <laughs> was alone here for, it felt like a long time, but I think it was about a month. And, you know, and um, yeah, it it's still not fun. I mean, we still have one chair at every table and we still can't do things. And, you know, and we've had to cancel. I used to have backyard parties, used to. Um, I, had, I would have backyard parties every year and those will come back and, you know, for three to 500 people and bands and, and we would have, we would have Christmas parties and all these other that that'll come back. But, you know, it also forced us to say, not everybody likes parties, Steve. And I'm like, what? Um, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes uh, buying lunch for people or doing some gift baskets or, or just, you know, doing rounding on zoom or just getting to know people, you know, um, lends to high engagement just as much as, you know, parties and, and, and different things. Yeah. Really huge lesson. One of the things that I acknowledge you for, and, and we're going to go on a quick break, and then I want to talk about this, is your vulnerability and your leadership. You showed that when you said, I'll be the first patient, and you show that in your newsletters and just who you are and how you show up. So we're going to go on this quick break. And when we get back, vulnerability in leadership via Steve. Enjoy this quick break. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. 
Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. For the past 30 minutes, we've been talking with my friend and guest, Steve Simonen. We're talking all about reinventing rural health care. Now, Steve, one of the things we said just before break, I admire and I acknowledge your vulnerability in how you show up and how you lead your team. So yes, being the first bariatric patient and documenting your journey, you were really honest about that. And just how you show your newsletter. So you, you talked earlier about the you know, thousands of pages of newsletters that you have. So how does, when, when I say the words vulnerability in your leadership and how you show up, what comes up for you? I think honesty, you know, I, on, honesty and, and I think sense of humor as well, you know, and, and really being able to laugh at yourself and, and uh, you know, just putting yourself out there. I, you know, one of the things that uh, we were talking about COVID a little bit ago, and one of the things that I missed the most was um, my uh, my staff outside of my office. You know, I laugh so much with those guys. Um, it's just you know, every day, you know, and that's why I tell people in orientation that if you can't come to work and, and laugh and, and and enjoy yourself. And I think I, I think the the thing that uh, that uh, I probably do the most is just put myself out there and, you know, and just laugh at some of those stupid things on a, you know, on, on a daily basis. I, th- I think, uh, I think um, vulnerability is huge. You know, one of the uh, things that we did early on, we have standards of behaviors for our employees, but we also had standards of, of uh, behavior for our leaders. And um, <clears throat> one sentence that, that always rings out to me is I will be humble, you know, and to truly um, step back and say, yeah, you know, I, I don't necessarily rock it in every single aspect that I think I do. Well, so that I think goes in hand in hand with why you, you know, we talked about coffee, but let's talk about the coffee shop. Because <laughs> okay. I think that goes hand in hand. I'm talk about, it, will you share your reasonings for why you had the coffee shop? Well, um, first, you know, I, uh, I was bored, um, and, uh, and I needed something. Well, not that I don't have a big job or something like that, but, you know, I, uh, I was wanted to, um, open, um, kind of a, it's, it was more than a coffee shop down below. We had a um, full bar, we had a full restaurant. We had uh, um, a stage with bands and stuff. And I used to play in bands in high school and, um, rock bands and, you know, in 10th grade playing at the, the top of the Hilton in Sioux city. And, and, uh, we used to play for the mother truckers and, and we'd play at bars and, and, uh, crazy. I don't know what my parents were thinking. Anyway, um, we were nice kids. Um, but I always thought, oh, how cool to have a restaurant and stuff. And even though people tried to talk me out of it, um, I thought, that's all good. And uh, so I opened up this restaurant. It was called Grounded. And then um, the bar underneath was called Undergrounded, which is a great name. Um, I still love the name. Um, and uh, and so our, our initial um, perspective um, was in the downstairs was to kind of introduce rural Iowa to nice wine. So all Riedel glasses and, and nice wine and wine cellar and in that didn't work. And, um, and we had wine classes and, you know, it's a, 
I, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't fantastic, but you know, the coffee shop is still going on and it's still great and stuff. I sold it in 2015, but um, you know, it taught me so much on leadership, you know, and uh, you know, it taught me, um, it taught me when, when my, when my servers would go out and, and uh, talk to people and stuff like that, talk to their customers, you know, I always said, you know, don't ask them how, how does it taste? Because you're inviting criticism, um, you know, ask how everything's going, you know, do they need anything? Um, you know, always go back to the kitchen with the dirty plate in hand, always, you know, um, seeing it from an ownership perspective, because I don't own the hospital, you know, I'm the CEO here, they, they hire me for a job, but I owned Grounded, you know, and, and truly it gave me a whole different perspective on leadership. It was a very expensive <laughs> third master's degree. Um, but it was essential. I mean, it, it changed my life. Yeah. I call some of my businesses that we just sold. I don't think I told you we sold our last gem a few weeks ago. I say, these are my million dollar lessons. Oh, yeah. You know, I wouldn't trade that. It truly was like the doctorate in, in leadership. One of the things I've heard you talk about, and I want to just pause here for just a second in this moment is that feeling on a Saturday morning when, when you were serving coffee and how the people in town, they knew you as the CEO, but now all of a sudden you're the, the local coffee shop owner. Well, I was a cop. I was a short order cook. So I wasn't the barista because ah. I, yeah, that, that was too much for me. But I, what I did was I flipped pancakes and I made omelets and, and I, I gave way too much food for way too little of a price. And, um, and we had amazing um, breakfast burritos and all, all the, and I've got this kick-ass um, recipe for biscuits and gravy if you ever want one um yeah and uh, anyway so that's that's what i did but you know the cool thing is i i also learned that this job is is a lot of this type of work and what i was doing was a whole different type of work that i really never done before in life and i probably had the best workouts ever on saturday mornings just flying i was you know it was myself and two servers and and a lot of times we'd have full rest a full restaurant and it, it was so busy and it was so much work and it was so awesome and i loved that part of the job i tell people um they said well steve you're gonna retire at some point what are you gonna do and i said flip pancakes at a at a at a at a um pancake house somewhere you know just some something to some short order i loved that before, you know, I was, in college, I was a bartender for a long time. I loved that as well. You know, just interacting with people and, and doing a whole different type of, of work. I'll tell you, I was helping a little bit different scenario, but I was at chess club for my youngest or for my middle of my youngest the other day, last Friday. And for an hour and 15 minutes, there were 70 kids. The school has 600 kids total. 70 of them showed up for chess club. And I walked out of there exhausted because I was constantly like, okay, who are you playing? Where did you win? How are we, where are you going? For an hour, I thought, wow, I'm going to go back into my job and take a break because this is work. And it was so beautiful to see that and be with the kids and see a different experience. And that's really what I hear you saying is just what support, what can you learn? And now nobody's saying, oh, Steve, he sits in his chair and doesn't know about what, what I really do. You're like, nah, no, no, no. You can see me on Saturday. I'll flip your pancakes or I'll make yeah. your burrito. You know what? One of the things that you were saying that uh, reminds me of something I always tell my, my employees at orientation is that what are your priorities in life? You know, and, uh, and we talk about priorities and, and uh, I said, your priorities are your family. You know, they're your community. They're your church. They're your school. They're, they're whatever. Work should complement that. 
you know, and it's our goal to make sure that that work shouldn't necessarily be a vacation, but it should be where your friends are, where your, your laughter is. And, and, you know, it should be, it should be different, but it shouldn't be a chore. It should be, it should be full of love and compassion and, you know, and good times. That's, that's our goal. Well, even, even what you just said, I, I want to really dig in there too. You said, when I meet with our employees at orientation, because that's not something, I mean, how many employees do you have, Steve? I think we've got about 700, 750 now. And when somebody yeah. starts, what is their first experience at the hospital? Their first hour is me talking to them um, for about an hour and five minutes on our standards of behavior and my story. And uh, it's basically me talking as fast as I can for, for an hour and five minutes. And, you know, and, and I, I watched them very closely because you can see who's going to succeed and stuff. And, you know, for the most part, people are, are, are watching and they're, you know, there's parts of my story where people like tear up and, and they're just like engaged. And, and uh, so I know that it's, I know that it's worthwhile. Yeah. And so you dedicate an hour of your time to anybody that's starting. And that's really important because that's their first experience. So how many of us as leaders are saying, okay, I will, I'm going to talk with them on the first day, but it's going to be in the middle of the day, or you're making this a priority right up front and saying, these are our standards of behavior. And I'm going to demonstrate them for you by being here and showing up. And so that's a really important lesson that we get to just ground in and know. It, it is. Our challenge, and this is something that we're working on, is how do what I say, how do I make sure that that's connected when they get to their department, connected when they get with their employees? You know, so we are practicing things like managing up each other. We are practicing things like acknowledging um, high in the hallways, um, you know, walking people to where they need to go, answering the phones correctly, all of these things, you know, and these are the things that, uh, that uh, make for an engaged environment. So if someone comes and, and they hear me, that's like a promise, you know, that's like, you know, I'm working for a good organization. Now prove it. And that's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no, just having people intrinsically want to carry those behaviors forward. Yeah. 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 We have a, we saw, we have a martial arts business and this is the conversations we're having all the time too. We're, we just are, are re-envisioning because we hit our vision. We set a, a five-year vision and we hit it. And now we're, we're at this beautiful space where you've been of, well, what does the next five years look like? What does the next 10 years look like? What's that? You know, I started to, um, coaching, uh, my, I've had a coach for 25, no, 20 years and, uh, and my coach, and I still see, um, talk to her and, I was, and Janice said, okay, Steve, you know, in life coaching, one of the first things we do is we set goals. And I said, I don't want to set a goal. Uh, you know, I want to have a beautiful journey. And, uh, and I know that my goals are going to change. I know that, uh, you know, it's going to dart and weave and, and it's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting all the time, but I want to make sure I'm making the most of it. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're trying to make the most of our journey. We don't know what it's going to look like. It's really hard to strategically plan here. You know, what's it going to look like in three years? We can draw a picture. It's going to look completely different, but okay. You know what's so beautiful about this? And I had no intention of sharing this until this came up. So beautiful. What we did in our session, when we did our visioning session last week, we actually wrote out family rules for our vision. And so we have five family rules. And that's because the business that we're creating, it really is a family. And so those are the rules. This is how we're holding ourselves to that standard. And that's so much easier to say, are we upholding this vision or not? It's a yes or a no. There's no gray area. 
But yeah. how many times do we complicate that? <sighs> you know, one of the things, and I, and I had a, a session with my pillar leaders and my senior leaders at my house last week, and, and uh, Rain, one of my uh, my quality pillar leaders, she, she said, you know, Steve, I've been in this role for like 20 years, and, and you've said over and over and over, rise above the emotion, you know, see the game that's being played. You know, and if you step back and you and you really analyze things differently, you know, kind of from a what's what's going on, you know, as opposed to anger versus anger or emotion versus emotion, it gives a whole different picture. Absolutely. And that's something that it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter what season you're in or what stage of life you're in. We could, we could be talking about this from a personal perspective and it would mean the exact same thing. Absolutely. That's so important. But how many of us lead with that frustration or that trigger versus just taking a deep breath? Yeah, that's oh. a lot nicer when you're able to meditate on things and, and just clearly get back and, and understand. Yeah. Oh, OK. We're going to go on a quick break. But when we get back, one of the things we'll be tying this all together and they want to hear. I know you were talking about moving boundaries and moving fences, one of the, the, the latest topics that you've had for your newsletter. I want to hear about that. So everyone that's listening, enjoy this quick break. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show here on Inspired Choices Network. We have been talking for the last 45 minutes with my friend and guest, Steve Simonon. And Steve, we have covered so much and it's so beautiful. And yet we probably covered about a... a 80th of what we possibly could talk about. And yeah. what I want to hear next, you talked about the newsletters, you talked about the topics and vulnerability and why that's important. But I want to hear, there was one that you said that really yeah. landed. Do you mind if I read it? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So it's like 400 words. Uh, okay. So this was, uh, I put this out in uh, September. Um, and bear with me because I, I talk about a lot of um, I have menu envy really bad, wishing I could have ordered what the person at the next table got every time I go to a restaurant. Now I have it for everything I buy. I got a new couch and chair for my living room. I ordered it from an online store. It's beautiful, but so uncomfortable, like cement. My new couch is like cement. It's like ordering a pl pretty plate of food that is plastic. My cat is very unhappy with me. I wish I could have gotten the other couch from the other place. Expectations and results. We've had a tagline here at Iowa, especially hospitals and clinics, um, for years that, that read, consistently exceeding your expectations. One of our wise sage pillars, Dr. Witters, asked, what happens when you can't exceed anymore? Yes, good question, of which I have no answer. If we are operating in only their parameters, what is acceptable? I think that instead of filling wishes and desires of the patient or customer who is working within their own sphere of expectations, we should try and expand their world of possibilities. What? The only way I expand my life is by trying new things. And then I need to have patience. I need to allow for new tastes, smells, and activities and understand that my boundaries are on acceptability are mine and my own and fences are made to be moved. Same with Iowa, especially hospitals and clinics. The only way we do business is by evolving and changing. And the only way we're going to stay in front is to be flexible. 
So if we can't do any more for our customers, make the bed softer or the ice less cold, then perhaps we move the fence. Moving a fence into new territory is scary. Dropping our protective shields of what we know and like are scary. But if we want to learn, grow, and be successful, the only way is to embrace the unknown. Beautiful. So tell me, you, you put this out there. What happened? Yeah. People said, oh, I like the concept of moving fences. They don't, they don't comment as much anymore. I mean, there's, there was a lot, a lot of people, uh, I put this out and I always um, have people read it before and they're like, uh, you know, that's, that's awesome. We, you know, we do have, we do have the concept of exceeding expectations and what, what happens when we get to that point. It's just like, eh, let's push a little bit further. Let's push it a little bit further. And so we're talking um, about right now, what's that new territory look like after we've moved the fence? What, what exists in that, in, in that area? You know, we're, we are, we are a rural hospital in North central Iowa, where we have windmills and smells and lots of flies and flatland and, you know, nothing really special, but, but people come here for, you know, reasons that, uh, that are known to us. Like we're, we're good. You know, we're, we're nice. We, we treat them like family, you know? So what happens when everybody else does that? Then we push a little bit further. We say, oh, but we also do this. We also do this, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and, you know, one of the things I, I think about is um, down, you know, you always have this little town that has this little restaurant that's yeah, all right, but people come from all over for it. They never advertise, you know, it's always by word of mouth. And it's always like this, the best experience. We have this place up in Thor, Iowa, population 12, you know, and this restaurant um, called Unkies, you know, and it's the only thing, there's no gas station, there's nothing in this town except for Unkies, but people come from all over and they know Unkies. Um, Northwest Steakhouse up in Mason City, you know, down in, down in Des Moines, 801 or Proof or, you know, there's, there's such really cool um, places out there by no advertising, it's word of mouth because they have a special experience. So it's because they've moved the boundaries. You know, they, they do just a little bit more than someone else. Absolutely. One of the things that I hear and you say, <laughs> we had our, our martial arts was over in Beaverdale. And at the time, all anybody wanted was air conditioning and parking. And that was it. That was the fence. And so then we moved a location and we have air conditioning and parking. And now all of a sudden there's other things that they want and it's, it's beautiful. So exactly what you're saying. I don't know what the expectations we get to exceed next are, but when they show up as opportunities, we'll latch onto them. You grab it. Yeah. Back to what you said earlier about just being a yes. There's one book that my coach said um, to read and it was awful, but um, the title, I love the title. Um, so apologies if anybody owns this book and they liked it. Um, but the answer to how is yes. No, actually I didn't even read it. Um, I, uh, I, I probably said I read it, but, um, but uh, <laughs> apologies. Um, I'm getting read now. Um, the answer to how is yes, though. What a fantastic concept, you know, just, just, uh, just being able to, to move forward and, and to do things um, without having to like, you know, Burden yourself with all the potential what ifs. So, so if people are listening, they want more Steve. They want to know more about your leadership style or what you're up to at Iowa Specialty. How do they get a hold of you? Um, they can check out our website, iowaspecialtyhospitals.com. Cool. Is that it? I was supposed to, yeah. Iowa yeah can they hospital. get your newsletter? Yeah. Well, my yeah my uh, my article is on there every week, and uh, so 
we put that out, you know. Um, our internal newsletter has my article in it, but it also has birthdays and quality stuff and, and things like that. But my stuff, it's all on there every every week. So they so can get I'm it. Also on Facebook, uh, I was especially hospital, and and um, you know all the same stuffs on there as well. So you have, if you have one final thing that you want to say to 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 those listening about leadership or anything that you've talked about, or maybe something that you haven't, what's the piece you want to leave them with? I put all my stage advice before this, um, you know, but going, going back though, is, is, is truly rising above the emotion. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's about meditation. It's about taking care of yourself. It's about being the example. It's about, it's about being humble. It's about pushing yourself out there and saying, you know, if I, if, if I don't do it, how can I expect you to do it? And, uh, and creating that environment, you know, leadership is hard work and it's uh it's first and foremost, not about meetings and not about zoom stuff and not about, it's about being with your employees and, and producing some, someplace, whether it's a coffee shop or a hospital or whatever, you know, that uh, you treat all your customers like family and, and you treat all your employees with love and compassion and caring. That's Absolutely. What, and that's, the it starts there and ends there. you what? It starts there and ends there. You make it seem in the words that you're using, it sounds so simple. And yet I know there's a lot more to it that you've worked through and that that's, yeah, it, it is so simple. Yeah. yeah. It goes both ways. Well, I'm so thankful that you chose to come onto the show today and talk with me and so everybody could hear exactly what we're up to. So thank you, Steve, for being a part of the show today. Yeah. Hey, thank you. This was awesome. Yes. And we've got every Monday we show up live. We've got incredible shows next week. We have Cameron Hughes, who is the world igniter of crowds. So Steve, you got to check this guy out. He is out in Vegas. He's from Canada. He's the uh, lead cheerer, cheerer for the U.S. National Tennis Association for the National Open. I mean, I can go on and on and on with his list of credentials. Pepsi just did a commercial about him and how cool, like how this guy just gets everybody excited. He's the one ripping off his t-shirt. He's got 50 shirts that he wears so he can throw them into the crowd. And he's the one where if you see him in, if you're at a stadium, you'll think, oh my gosh, this guy's going to get kicked out. That's your reaction. But he actually is paid for this. And he fell into this career and he's going to talk about how he actually gets excited. He now talks with companies as well about how to ignite your people and how to, how to keep that excitement going. And exactly what Steve and I have been talking about, really just being vulnerable, putting yourself out there, being authentic, being real and saying, Hey, this is who I am. And we're going to have fun because that's, you know, it's life. That's really what we're here for. Enjoy it. Yeah. This is such a beautiful time. So today, what I want you to think about between today and next week is really about how we carry our message forward, how we get excited, how we be vulnerable, how we show up in exactly as we're supposed to. And most importantly, saying yes. Thank you so much for being on the show. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.